This episode is sponsored by Tallman Equipment. Since 1952, Tallman Equipment has been trusted by linemen to have the tools they need to get the job done right. From ACSR cutters to ZG6 chain hoists, auger bits to voltage testers, and every tool in between, you can trust Tallman to have it. Tallman Equipment, trusted by linemen since 1952. Find us online at tallmanequipment.com. Buckingham Manufacturing, the world's leader in fall protection manufacturing, is proud to sponsor this podcast. Please be on the lookout for an upcoming episode with owner and president Andy Batty to talk all things fall protection. If you have any questions you want us to hit, let us know. And LineStar Utility Supply. Since 2005, your one-stop shop for alignments, tools, and specialty equipment in Canada with four offices across Canada, Surrey, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Mississauga. They also service the tools that they sell with warranty and repair facilities at each location. LineStar is proud to be an authorized stocking distributor for Buckingham Manufacturing's great line of climbing and wood pole fall protection gear. For more info, please reach out to the nearest office for expert help or visit them at linestar.ca. All right, welcome to episode 37 of Powerline Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Lucas. My next guest is Jeremiah Donnell, also goes by J.P. Donnell. J.P. is a former U.S. Navy SEAL sniper and machine gunner and now works as a director and leadership instructor at Echelon Front. JP not only has a ton of experience with leadership and leadership training, he has also been involved with training linemen, which makes this content directly relatable. I'm going to suggest that you pull out a notebook for this episode because it's packed with so much great information. And one more thing, please go to your podcast app and rate the show, guys. Give me a five-star review and please pick one or two people at least that you can share this episode with and please share it with them. Also take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your social media and make sure you tag me in it. All right, let's get into episode 37 with special guest, JP Donnell. Enjoy. All right, JP. Well, uh, I just want to say welcome to the podcast and thanks for taking time out of your undoubtedly busy schedule to do this. I, I, I sure appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You're welcome, and thank you for having me as a guest. I'm really stoked for this opportunity because I've followed yourself and and Jocko and really the entire Echelon Front group for a long time now. So to have this opportunity to talk to the source and gain some of the knowledge that you guys share so freely um, is is a real opportunity. So, again, thank you for that as well. Awesome. So... On some of your other podcasts, I know you've you've uh, done uh, quite a few now, especially with like Mike Ritland and Mike Drop podcast and and the Jocko podcast. You've done a deep dive into your youth, um, so I don't want to spend too much time there. And if people want to listen to that, then they could go to those podcasts. But for the audience, could you just give us a little context on uh, growing up and what your family was like? Yeah, growing up, I mean, life was really good. You know, I had parents that. Um, they seem to get along with each other for the most part. <laughs> um, you know, I have a younger brother, younger sister. We're all pretty close in age. You know, when we were in high school, my sister was a freshman. My brother is a junior and I was a senior. So our ages are all pretty close together. You know, um, grew up going up to my grandparents' property. My dad's dad had property up in Northern California outside of Sacramento on your way up to Lake Tahoe. So 
you know, being a young boy, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL ever since I can remember. And so my brother Corey and I, we would play Navy SEALs every chance that we had, you know, in, you know, the neighborhood that we lived in, he had decent-sized lots and backyards, and so we'd play Navy SEALs there. We'd go up to my grandparents. They had five acres up in the foothills of Northern California. We'd play Navy SEALs up there. Um, you know, we were at church almost every Sunday, Wednesday nights as well. Um, you know, I went to the same high school that my dad went to, you know, had some of the same teachers that he had, grew up in the same house my dad grew up in. So, I mean, life was, uh, life was good. You know, my, my parents didn't make a lot of money. Um, but that's just because that's just the way life was then, you know, my dad always did construction and cooking and my mom, you know, helped raise a family and and taught step aerobics. And, you know, my parents were extremely hardworking Americans and, you know, I, I'm extremely humbled and proud to have been raised by them with that work ethic, uh, because, you know, it really helped pave the way for me, um, to join the military after high school and just have that work ethic uh, that was would help push me through those those troubling and difficulty times. And even, you know, we can dive into a little bit later. I've talked about on other podcasts where, you know, when I got out of the military, I was doing sales at a financial company. And there, there was a time that when I left that company to start my own thing in between doing what I do now for Jocko and Leif at their company, Echelon Front, like, I put myself in a really bad financial position for my family and a lot of people would have taken the easy way out or, you know, um, you know, made excuses or, you know, I just knew that I had to, I don't work my ass off. You know, if you, if you sure. have happen, it requires work. Um, so I just always saw that in my parents, always saw that in my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, um, you know, and so, you know, growing up life, life was good. I was very blessed, very lucky to have, you know, a good family, good parents and uh, relatives that cared. Were you an athletic kid? What sports did you play and, and get into? I uh, did swim team when I was younger, did wrestling. Um, I did track and field a little bit in high school. Um, you know, wrestled in junior high, wrestled a little bit in high school. Um, I did kickboxing uh, in elementary school, junior high and high school. Uh, I did like um, adventure races when I was in high school um, uh, it just did a little bit of everything. You know, we were pretty athletic. Our parents expected us to, to work out and be healthy and eat right and, and do different sports. I uh, played water polo my senior year of high school, uh, played football my junior year. Um, yeah, we were always really active, which is well-rounded. Uh, do, do you feel like these obviously helped, um, prep you for later in life and, and getting into the teams? Yeah, I think water polo really did wrestling really did you know uh wrestling is a very hard and difficult sport and it requires a lot of determination and grit and you know learning to dig deep and push yourself um you know kickboxing did as well um because my coach um was was very strict he was very old and you know he you didn't get a screw around like it wasn't like you're just going and you know, just like some of the martial arts schools, you know, were for a while. They called them the by the belt program. Like as long as you showed up to class, you'd get promoted. Um, no, that was not <laughs> the case at all. And so I think, you know, just wrestling and swim team and water polo definitely helped. Um, those adventure races definitely helped when you're going and doing, you know, 
a 13 mile trail run and a 20 something mile mountain bike and, you know, a, a kayak down a river and a kayak across a lake and doing obstacle courses. Uh, it, it all definitely helped. Um, you know, my brother and I, we did Royal Rangers, which is, um, like Christian boy scouts. It was through our church. And, um, you know, that definitely helped with just some basic, um, craft, like field craft type of stuff. Um, you know, and then I just had, I had family members that supported us, you know, doing sports and being in athletics. And, you know, there were some times that, you know, I remember one year we were doing swim team and my parents couldn't afford for us to do swim team and they couldn't afford for us to buy the fins that were required. And my aunt and uncle paid for it, you know, mm -hmm. and they helped, you know, us be able to do that. So, you know, very, very cool support system from our family. Very lucky. What uh, what made you choose the military and, and uh, become a SEAL and kind of give us a little bit of a background and experience within the military, kind of what you did? Yeah, so ever since I was, I mean, I want to say like my daughter's age, I have twin daughters that are eight. When I was around the eight, nine time frame, I think, maybe younger, I don't know, maybe a little bit older, um, you know, my brother Corey and I, we learned about the Navy SEALs and we were just infatuated by Navy SEALs, like everything that we learned about it, the whole maritime operations, learned about what the frogmen did in Vietnam and, you know, World War II. It was just like, wow, that's badass. And, you know, I also thought Marines were badass. I thought Army Rangers were badass. I thought the Delta Force guys were badass. Like, I thought everybody, you know, Air Force pararescues and combat controllers, like, I, dude, all all military members to me were badass when I was a kid. And, yeah, I just wanted to serve. And, um you know, when I was in high school, I kind of lost sight of that, like most people do, right? Most most kids lose sight of their childhood dreams because we're so uh, programmed to listen to our teachers say we should do, and you you have to get a college education. If you don't get a college education, you're gonna be a loser, and you're gonna you're not gonna blah blah. blah. It's like what? Like it's crazy, you know? Like it's funny. Like I have a military buddy who pays more in taxes each month than his high school teachers make in a year. Roger that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. a fool now. Right? That's, that's line work. That's alignment for you right there. That, the... Oh, I know. I know my alignment brother. Make some, <laughs> uh, I've worked with a lot of alignment. I've worked with a lot of, uh, uh, gas and, and electric companies. Cool. And, um, yeah, I know you guys make good money, right? Yeah. You should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Um, but, and, and I want to be very clear because somebody might be listening. I am not talking shit on teachers. I'm not. All I'm saying is I lost sight of my childhood dreams. Like most people do because of teachers telling you what you have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful that my parents were like, what do you want to do? What should you do, right? And my dad kind of guided me towards the military because I told my dad when he's like, "Hey, what are you gonna do when you graduate?" I was like, "Ah, I'm gonna be a whitewater rafting guy to live on the river." And he's like, uh, yeah, as you cool. Reconsider. As cool as that sounds, um, what about the military, you knucklehead? You know, and and you know, I just lost sight of that. And you know, both my grandfathers served in the military. My dad's dad was on a uh, destroyer uh, in the Navy during World War II. Wow. Um, up in uh, I always mess this up. Aleutian Islands. 
Okay. There's some nasty fighting going on up there during World War II. And I never realized that. And it's really embarrassing to even say this. Like I never I, I never understood the type of combat like he was in in World War II in on a destroyer up in those islands, man. And until I started doing some research and watching you know, some of the stuff that's been on um, Netflix and um, about, you know, World War Two and just all that stuff. And I was like, holy crap. And then my 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 mom's dad uh, flew in the Army Air Corps. So that was before the Air Force was formed. Right. And he he flew in World War Two, the Korean War and Vietnam War. And he's a bomber pilot. And wow. so his squadron was part of the, the squadron that bombed Japan. And, and I mean, just hearing stories from him growing up and, um, it's just, it's just insane, insane what those guys did and Deep in your history. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, lots of, lots of aunts and uncles that were in the military as well. Um, you know, I think my dad regrets not going in the military, uh, just because I mean, he would have been just phenomenal, right? Just, uh, but you know, we can't live our lives like that. Regret, you know, you can't look back at something like, I wish I would have done this because you you never know, right? Like, okay, what if my dad would have gone in the military? Would he have met my mom? Probably not, right? There's a a reason for it all, man. A hundred percent, right? And so, um, you know, I just always had that military-esque theme to my life. My dad was very, like, military-ish. Everyone always has thought he's been in the military by his looks and everything. Um, you know, and so, you know, that kind of just guided me that way. And, um, it was really cool. You know, I joined the military. I went to boot camp September 5th, 2001 and six days later, 9-11 happened. Wow. Um, I had a contract to go to buds to become a seal. So there, you know, I had already wanted to do that. And then 9-11 happened. I was like, wow, you know, our nation had been drastically affected (laughs) and I knew that my career was going to be drastically affected. And my path was going to be changed for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I was just, I was hungry to get to war. That's all I wanted to do. Man, I thought like the Marines were going over there like right away. And I remember going up to one of my RTCs, which is a recruit drill commander. I'm in my sixth day of boot camp. 9-11 happens. And I ask him, is there any way I could switch over to the Marines? (laughs) What? Just get me boots on ground now. <laughs> he, he knew that I was going to be, I was a SEAL candidate and him and I had a really good relationship already. Uh, I think he just saw like the determination in me just being super squared away at a young age in boot camp, And um, like he put me in charge of shit right away, which I thought was really cool, uh, which really helped me uh, also with, you know, starting to become, you know, a, a mature young man. I'm in the military now. Like, I need to grow up. You know, I was immature. I was 18. And he's like, cool. He put me in charge of stuff. Um, and that definitely helped uh, for sure. And uh, I just remember, he's like, dude, relax. Like, you need to finish boot camp. You're going to be a SEAL. Like, you know, and I was like, okay. You know, and then it was like a couple of days later, uh, some of the SEAL dive motivators, which were other SEALs that were assigned to that billet, we're out there in Great Lake, Illinois, and they like come into our barracks and they drop everybody down. They make everybody do push-ups. They're like, "All right, all the SEAL wannabes recover and stand up." So all these guys like stand up, and I just stayed in the push-up position, right? <laughs> going down their list of names, boom, 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 and they're like, "Danelle," and I was like, "Who ya?" They're like, "Why aren't you standing up?" <laughs> Dude, this is such a such a bold, cocky move. I'm like, 
I'm not a SEAL wannabe. I'm a SEAL <laughs> gonna <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, of course. I push him out. I'm like, I'm like, do him. I push him out again. I'm like, I do it all right. I push him out again. And I, bro, I was just, you gotta think, I was 18. Yeah. It was like maybe 145 ish pounds, maybe. Just really get some. Shape. I trained my ass off that summer, yeah. working construction for my dad, doing PTs every single day and night, going to the river, running down by the river, swimming upstream in the river, doing breath holds, going down the bottom of the river and pulling myself upstream. Bro, I was in such good shape. So I like, got this. I got this. Water <laughs> kick setups, like all this stuff. And just like did the smoke session. And it didn't phase me. And they're like, all right, recovered enough. I'm like, all right. You know, and then so we talked. And, you know, and then I started going to the morning for all the other. And dude, like after that first actual morning PT with all like the dive motivators, you know, there was a, a good amount of guys in my division that all like wanted. I was the only one after day one that kept going back. And, uh, you know, I was just, you know, started the process and you know, I passed my screen test, obviously. And then, you know, graduated boot camp, went to A school, which is you're like you're schooling for the Navy. Uh, graduate, you know, graduated top of my division in, in boot camp. Um, out of all the people graduating, there's multiple divisions. I graduated number three. Um, and then in A school, I graduated number one in that and then went to BUDS and I checked into BUDS April of uh, 2002. And I started with class 242 and I graduated with class 242. So, um, you know, BUDS was difficult, but it's fun, man. It's all it's, it's in your mindset, right? Yeah. And I mean, dude, linemen know what hard work means. I mean, you guys work your asses off. It doesn't matter what the weather is. I mean, yeah. you guys are the the heroes out there answering the call. Like the power goes out, yeah. and if you guys don't get out there and get to work, our nation shuts down. Hundred percent. The economy shuts down. Yeah. Everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, everything. Yeah. Like trucks aren't able to deliver goods because they can't pump gas. Nothing works. Nothing, Nothing works. works. Everything shuts down. In fact, it can even get dangerous because you can get into blackout situations and shit gets squirrely in big centers when, when stuff goes dark, right? Yeah, that's why I'm happy we're kind of on the outskirts of the major city. Yeah. <laughs> I know people like to fool. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be put in a position where I have to defend my family because I can tell you what that number one priority yeah. for me is always my family always. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'll, somebody will take a dirt nap before my family, you know, is harmed in any way. And 100%. that's why I'm so thankful to all the linemen and women and gas. You call gas. It's just ga ga gas workers. Yeah. Gas workers, yeah. You know, the men and women that work gas as well. Um, you know, it, it's what you guys do together bro come on yeah. man yeah. like it's incredible and um you know and so for for me it going through buds was just shifting my mindset right it was just really telling myself and believing it and i did i did trust me it wasn't like some like well, if i just tell myself this i can if you believe it you can achieve a type of bullshit that's out there i truly truly enjoyed every single day you know i would tell myself you know, I get to do this and I still do that. 
I get to do this. It's just a mindset that you have to shift. And, um, you know, it was, it was fun. While you're on mindset, this is actually something I wanted to get into was, was talking about mindset. So like, um, what did, what did the military teach you about how to train your mind? And could you give us something that we could like, is there something you still use that you learned in the military, uh, around, um, changing your mindset and, um, that we could use to apply to what we do today? Well, I think the most important one is what I just said is the, the attitude of, I get to do this. Roger. You know, is, is recognizing that people would love to be in the position that you're in. Right. And that hard work is an honorable thing. And you should take pride in doing those difficult tasks and take pride in, uh, you know, knowing that you're doing stuff that most people wouldn't do and can't do. And, and so for me going to the military, it was just a simple shift of, I get to do this. When you, when you start off with a positive mindset of, I get to go for, for a four mile time run. I get to go for an ocean swim. I get to whatever, fill in the blanks. Yeah. It's going to make that task better. And if you know other people are suffering with you, that's that's a great way to build camaraderie amongst your team and, you know, and, and build up that culture of just people that work hard. You know, when we were in Task Unit Bruiser, when Jocko was our Task Unit Commander, we had a sense of pride knowing that we were outworking all the other task units. We were training longer. Our training was harder because we made it harder. The, 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 the minimal standards that the instructors set for us to pass through these blocks of training, we didn't accept those. Okay. We could say, all right, you guys are done for the day. Good job of training. We're like, cool. We would train more. We would, they would be like, hey, you guys are done for the night. We, we'd train longer, right? And you know, if we had a big training exercise, we would train through the weekend without the instructors, just us policing ourselves. And you know, it's just... Now, did everybody buy into that right away? No. But when we started to outperform all the other task units out there, the attitude and mindset started to shift and change with the guy. Is that a discipline thing? Is, is that something you just, you just get in that gear and it's like, just like, like Jocko says, good, like good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. Cause it can be, it can be, like you said, it can be really shitty for, for linemen. Like you said, you know, when the wind's blowing and the rain's coming down and the hurricanes are there, we're going towards that storm and we're right in the middle of it. We're often sleeping in a bucket truck or, or digger in the middle of a hurricane or, or hunkered down, just waiting for it to end to get to work. And it can be shitty. It can be shitty there. You can have a different situation. You can have shitty leadership and you got to deal with that and work with that or um, long, long hours, hard work, like you name it, but shifting that mindset um, guys get in the complaining mode and it gets horrible to be around these people. So like you said, like we get to do this. That's, that's fortunate. You see it right now where we're like in this, we're, we're an essential service. You know, we, we've continued to work when most people have had to sit home and stay home. So yeah, yeah well, like, of course there's people that are going to use the whole stay at home thing, you know, as an excuse to be lazy, right? There's always that handful out there, but mm-hmm. you know, I can promise you, like, I know that I know if you didn't have a source of income right now, 
you would be singing in a different tune in regards to complaining about the environment, right? Like, so people are complaining about having to work and work hard, yet there are people that are begging to be able to work, right? That would just love to be able to get hired and do anything they can to make some money. Yeah. And that all comes, it's a base of being disciplined. You know, great leaders always have self-discipline. Roger that. Um, I just want to back up for one sec. You were mentioning a lot about World War II history and that. And I promised my son, Hudson, my middle son, he's 13 years old. He's a huge World War II uh, buff, a history buff. And I promised him I'd ask you, what was it like to work with the first, the 506th, and maybe give a give a little story for him? Oh, I mean, it was it was just completely awesome. Like, yeah. those guys were so squared away, and, um, you know, it was just such an honorable, um, historic unit to be able to work alongside. And, you know you know, the red curry patch that they have, yeah. they bestowed that upon us. Like we oh. have, I have that, right. I have that patch that was given to me by Colonel Clark of the first five or six infantry division. And, you know, he called us his army frogmen. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah. So to be able to work alongside those guys, uh, it was just legendary. Just, yeah. It was legendary, you know? Um, you know, and something like what we were just talking about, just discipline and all the hard work. You know, uh, General Eisenhower has a quote. It says, there are no victories at bargain prices. Roger that. It's pretty, it's a pretty yeah. quote that you know, means a lot. <laughs> what, um, I want to talk about work ethic for a second, because you we were mentioning that as well. So what or who was involved with helping you develop your work ethic. I know a lot of that's just personal, it's DNA. Um, but I've heard you talk about your father and working with him in construction and, and your mother's work ethic as, as well. But um, would you say that they were huge contributing factors to shaping your work ethic? Oh yeah, absolutely. So my brother has an insane work ethic. My sister does as well. You know, my sister just graduated uh, med school got you know all of her stuff, so she's now you know a doctor, and she placed number one on the residency picks. Right, she got her number one pick for all five years. Wow. Like that's incredible, and a lot of people may may not know what that means. But so to put that into context, most people don't get their first pick, and if they do, they usually get it for like a year or two. And so you have to do five years of residency, if I'm correct, but you have to do five years of residency before you can, you know, get hired on somewhere. And she got her number one pick for all five years. Wow. They're just so impressed by her work ethic, by her scores, by her time in the military, the fact that she balanced two different jobs, raising a daughter and going to med school and still did as well as she did. I mean, she's a stud, right? My brother climbs cell phone towers and reprograms them and builds them. And he is now like a foreman, right? So he built, he's a site foreman and runs all those crews and has made this company hundreds of millions of dollars, 
from catching, you know, errors and, you know, running efficient and safe crews and just doing what he does. And, you know, we, we got that from our parents and my parents have been hard, hard workers their whole life. That's, that's what they know. And, you know, my parents, it was the same way. Uh, my dad's dad was a farmer from Nebraska who joined the military. You know, he had his mom, my great grandmother sign a waiver and, and then also kind of lied about his age because he was 16 wow. joining, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, can you imagine 16, no. 17 now join the Navy to go to war? No, I can't, I, you know? I, I can't, I can't imagine that because of just the way I see youth today. I just, I can't, it was just a different they were different people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so that, that work ethic, you know, is definitely came from my parents, but it also came from me being able to, you know, learn from the mistakes, you know, that, you know, we all, everyone experiences two different types of pain. You have the pain of discipline and then you have the pain of regret. And yeah. And when I say the pain of discipline, meaning, Hey, when you're, when you're disciplined, you're going to, sacrifice some stuff right and so if i'm being disciplined with my workouts and my diet that means that i'm not going out partying right and i'm going to sacrifice some social time or i'm going to sacrifice you know some family time or whatever it was you know when i was a kid i was when there was a few sports i was super dedicated i was infatuated with them right that kickboxing was one of them and there was just times and the the adventure races there was times i'd be over at a friend's house for like a birthday party slash party. And I was the only one not drinking. And I left the party at 10 o'clock because I was meeting up with my dad's physical therapist and this other group of guys that would go and do these races at midnight. And so I'd go do a mountain bike race starting at midnight until, you know, the sun came so up. Cool. And I'm in high school, right? Yeah. Not a lot of kids are doing that. No, no. But the ones that succeed are, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think just from experiencing like, Hey, there's going to be some sacrifice when you're disciplined, but what does that lead to? That leads to growth. That leads to, you know, maturity. And, um, it leads to, you know, that freedom to get what you want. That's what Jocko talks about. Discipline equals freedom. But I've also (laughs) a good amount of times, my brother experienced the pain (laughs) of regret. And yeah. that's the second pain, right? And hey, where does that come from? It's when we take the easy road and we just miss out on opportunities. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I learned, you know, you, you learn from those because of how that makes you feel of just that, that pain of regret of like, oh, I should have done this. Or, you know, it's just there's a lot of things that I should have done that I didn't. And that has taught me to not hold back on seizing the opportunity and taking ownership of things in my life. And then when Jocko came into my life, um, you know, he brought in that, that mindset of, of extreme ownership and that shifted and changed our whole task unit. And for me as an individual, it shifted and changed my life when somebody is telling me, hey, I need you to step up and lead because the guys listen to you. You're driven. You're motivated. You're a hard worker. You're smart, you. passionate. I don't care that you're the youngest and most junior ranking guy. You actually have influence over the guys and you know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. And so yeah. when somebody b- pours that belief and speaks that belief into you, it can change a life. 
Yeah. That uh, really ties into what I, what I was going to mention next was um, I get a ton of questions from young, from young people wanting to get into the trade and wanting to be linemen. They see it now. They see it on social media all the time. And it's like, holy cow, this is really cool. You're working with helicopters and energized conductors and heavy equipment and you're outside and all this kind of stuff. So I was going to ask what advice you have from um, that whole process of becoming a SEAL and going through the military, what advice you'd share with young people um, wanting to start into something, um, but you don't get to be there until you go through it, right? So what kind of advice do you have for youth starting? Um, you know, make a commitment. And you, you, well, first you have to, you have to understand like, it's going to cost you something. And so you need to identify what's, what is it going to cost you? And when you are good with whatever that's going to cost you, right? Time away from whatever, it, you know, you have to be okay with that. And once you're okay with that and understand that you're going to have to sacrifice some things to accomplish your goals and dreams, then go all in. Go all in. Don't doubt yourself. Don't don't allow doubt and complacency to creep in because when that doubt and complacency creeps in, that's what destroys all the great things in your life. You actually have to declare war against complacency and get your ass to work. Roger Nobody's that. gonna do it for you. Nobody's gonna do it for you. Yeah, Roger that. Um, or talk about operating under pressure and uh, as a lineman. We find ourselves in pressure, pressure situations all the time. Like I said, we're working with electricity or helicopters or just traffic. Anything can be an extremely pressure-filled situation. Um, and no doubt yourself have been in hundreds, if not thousands, of pressure-filled situations. What, has, what did the military teach you or just, you know, being a sniper, being a SEAL? Um, what are some tools that you could share with us on how to, how to deal with pressure situations? Well, you have to learn to detach. Roger. That's the first thing that you have to do, right? And so you have to detach so that you can relax, look around, assess the situation, and then make a call. You know, the third law of combat that we talk about in extreme ownership is prioritize and execute. And that's what I would tell Anybody listening to this podcast, no matter what you want to do, what, you know, military, law enforcement, lineman, doctor, you know, uh, NASA program, uh, you want to be whatever. I don't care. An accountant, go, go buy Jocko Lace's book, Extreme Ownership, and read it, and then read it a second time and highlight and underline things that stand out to you that apply to your life. And I promise you, you are going to have dozens and dozens and dozens of pages that have high highlighted marks and underlines because what we learned in combat and training applies to what we do every day in life Roger. and in i've been in i mean i don't even know how many gunfights i've been in and i'm not being i'm not exaggerating i've literally been in hundreds of gunfights right and that's just something that is part of what we did in ramadi and other deployments as well. I've gotten gunfights, other deployments, right? And so, but the most important thing, or I'm not in the most important thing, but the, the key thing to my success every single time was me being able to detach from my emotions and have the ability to think logically about the situation I was in and 
fall back to my training. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of training. Roger. If you're not putting in the train and equip yourself and your team, then you're failing yourself and you're failing your team. There is no excuse not to train. We can train every single day. You, yeah. you can't tell me that you could not do five to ten minutes of training with your team every single day. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- that's a big topic, actually. I want to sit on this one for a second because I actually had this in my notes. Is Some companies in our industry believe in investing in the further development of their workforce, right? And others don't give a shit about it. And it, it's a problem. So how how important is training and developing your team, crew, workers, whoever? How important is that? And what's your views on investing in training? It is critical. The, the, the companies and teams that invest into training and equipping themselves and their teams with the proper resources, the proper training, the proper guidance, those are the ones that are going to win at a very high level. I'm telling you, those are the ones that are going to win and dominate the marketplace. And when I say dominate, I don't mean just in a business money standpoint, but I mean dominate as in like your safety ratings and your retention and your culture and your morale. Because when your culture, your morale, your safety ratings are high, guess what tends to also do well? The business. Roger. The business does really well when those yep. other three things are doing well. So invest into your into your company. Invest into the culture through training. Now, I get it. Some companies, they maybe don't have that big of a budget for training. And they're spread thin because they're in a growth phase or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You can still do some sort of training, right? I mean, shoot. We have EF Online. It's $20 the first month to get signed up. And then it's $2.99 a month. Yeah. You know, dude, that's your Netflix subscription. Totally. That's lunch one day. Yeah. In the, and then you have access to all of our online videos that have just different scenarios for training. Um, you know, you're watching videos, you're taking tests. It gives you access to our live trainings. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Jocko and Leif are doing a live one-hour training. Like that's crazy. It's right? insane. So you have access to all of that for $12.99 a month. So companies are now seeing that and they're like, oh, well, we can at least afford that, right? Or now individuals are like, I'm gonna buy that for myself, like because it's development yeah. and they're learning just to be better leaders and better team members. Um, the other thing that people can do, and that's why I said, hey, you can't tell me you can't do training once a day, right? Like you can do some sort of training. Uh, you know, I've been out with crews on job sites and you know they were waiting for a subcontractor to arrive to the job site before they could do it. And guess what the guys were doing? They're sitting in the trucks on their phones playing games. Yep. And so like, I got one, the, the foreman, I'm like, hey, get all the guys out here. Let's, let's work through some scenarios for the next 10 minutes in the dirt. And I, 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 I like leveled out the dirt with my foot and I grabbed a stick and we started like dude, putting stuff out. And I'm like, hey, cool. Yeah. And we started working. And dude, we did that until the, the other people showed up because they wouldn't have been able to do anything until they showed up. And then when we got back, they're like, okay, I now I get it. I now yeah. get it. we can be more effective with our time. You know, and so two things that I talk about that people can control. You know, there's a lot of things that we can control. 
there's a lot, you know, people are like, oh, there's all, I can't control any of this stuff that's going on. You're right. You can't. So stop wasting energy on the things that you can't control. Focus on the things that you can't control. You can focus, you can control your attitude. You can control your level of discipline. You can control your emotions and you can control your time. You know, effective leaders recognize that emotional reactions are their responsibility. That's 100% their responsibility. And when it comes to time, we all are allotted the same amount of time. And I know what I'm saying isn't groundbreaking, brand, you know, fresh news. We've all heard it, but it's the absolute truth. A person's level of discipline dictates how effective you are using those minutes, right? Roger. And if you're sitting in your truck waiting for somebody to show up and you're playing video games or you're watching YouTube videos, okay, that's fine. You can get away with it. You're getting paid to do it. A lot of people actually are getting away with that. But don't bitch and complain when you're not getting what you need because considering the amount of time that you waste. Roger. If yeah, you're not it's huge. working through problems to come up with solutions, you have no right to complain about anything. None. You can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. Yeah. I've seen Jordan Peterson talk about how much, like talk about wasted time, just like you're, you're mentioning there and start adding up to just the sheer minutes in a day it equals months and years and a lifetime of just wasted time and how productive that time could have been. And he, he puts it to like a dollar value. If you're worth 50 bucks an hour, like, look how much time you just wasted. Amazing. Just blow your mind. Well said. I like it. Um, you mentioned the laws of combat. Uh, I'd like to dive into those a little bit. So maybe get into explaining uh, the principles of extreme ownership and and the, the four laws of combat that you guys talk about at Echelon Front and uh, maybe just break those down briefly for me. Yeah, easy. So the, the laws of combat is something that Jocko uh, developed when we came back from Ramadi. He took over the training command for all the West Coast SEAL teams. He pulled me over there as an instructor. And, um, you know, the laws of combat are very simple. You know, he was watching a group of training uh, a group go through some training and they're struggling and he's like trying to just, okay, what, why are they having these issues? How can we fix this? It's our responsibility as instructors to make sure that they can get to the level they need to be. And so he sat down and he wrote down the laws of combat because he was thinking about, okay, what do we do in Ramadi? What have I done in my career that's helped me be successful? And the first one is cover and move. And cover and move is broken down it's simply teamwork it's learning to work with other units other organizations breaking down those silos right understanding that the enemy is outside the wire it's not hr it's not corporate it's not this other shift it's the the dangers that you guys deal with at work and when i work with power and electric companies power and electric i meant you know electric roger, roger. Companies, um when i work with the companies there's these huge silos between the union and the company and it's always union versus company and the companies that we've worked with when we really dive into cover and move and there's this understanding like hey corporate doesn't want you to fail i promise you right and the linemen are usually like oh those mother like up in the ivory tower they have no idea blah blah you know it's like all right cool like i get it vent 
And I asked him, I'm like, do you really think they want you guys to fail? <laughs> and you'll have some old school guy in there, like, probably. It's like, and I'm like, okay, all right, I get it. You've been doing this for 30 years, crusty dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, and I'm always, and I'll just be like, hey, I'm being serious, guys. And because, and I tell them, like, hey, man, you guys are blue collar. I'm blue collar. I grew up blue collar. Trust me. My dad did construction for us to make ends meet. And, you know, he would do construction. I'm sorry. He would do cooking in the evening to help supplement the income that we had. So I get it. And I would always say, like, do you really think they want you to fail? I want you to detach from your emotions. Do you really think corporate wants you to fail? And the answer is no, they don't. They do not want you to fail. We just have different views and visions as to what needs to happen. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that you guys actually have the same common goal and objective. You guys have the same mission. And when you can align your vision to see the, mi the mission under the same like picture or view and you try to build relationships on both ends, that's when teams and organizations really start to win. And when the companies that we've worked with, and it's not like we're just hard on the linemen because I'm hard on all sides because yeah. I'm, I've been in your guys' shoes. I've been where we're trying to work with the upper echelon of the military. And I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, these people don't understand it. And you're like, yeah. wait, hold on. Yeah. Why don't they understand what we're going through? Whose fault is that? And when you think about that, it's my fault, right? And if you're a lineman out there and this, I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings, but I don't care. It's because I care about you guys, what you do. But if you're a lineman and your company that you're working for doesn't understand what you're going through and what you're dealing with and the issues that you have, that is 100% your fault because you have failed to communicate in a proper and effective way and you have failed to build a relationship. And guess what? I say the same damn thing to the company. Yep. Say, hey, if you don't know what's going on on the front lines, if you don't know their struggles, if you don't know why they're frustrated, that is 100% your fault because you have failed to communicate. You have failed to build relationships. And that's why a cover and move is so important. It's a base of the laws of combat. It's a base of what we teach because without relationships, everything falls apart. And it's the same up the chain of command as it is down the chain of command. Yes. Yeah. Up, down, across. Relationships are paramount. Amazing. Now, the other laws of combat, I'll briefly kind of go over them real quick. Sure. I know we're getting close to our time, but, you know, the second one is simple. You have to be able to simplify your communication, right? You, you have to simplify your communication. Your communication has to be simple, clear, and concise. If somebody on your team doesn't understand what you're asking them to do, that is your fault. And I love talking with the older generation linemen and line women as well. Sorry, when yeah. I say linemen, I mean both. We, um, we get it as both. Yeah. Okay. I just want to share. You know, they're always like, well, the millennials, and they just yeah. don't get it. And, and I'm like, you guys act like there was no generational gaps or differences when you. <laughs> yeah. You weren't always the, the stellar rock star that you think you are. <laughs> yeah. Just tell them like, hey, if someone on your team is failing to do a task, that's your fault because you failed to teach them. 
Yep. You failed to identify what their problem is and how to help them work through it. Yeah. You got to think about our, you know, the way we communicate is different. You know, like we're doing this over Skype. You know, we're able to send emails from our phone. We're able to send text messages. Is that communication always simple, clear, and concise? No. We have to be aware of that. And we have to make sure that we're not trying to put too much information out there uh, because we are insecure with our position as we're communicating. And I see a lot of people that are insecure with their position, whether it's a high position of leadership, a middle-level position, or just a frontline troop. They're insecure with that, so they over-communicate to try to compensate. And guess what that causes? Yeah. causes that confusion. And yeah. that's a bad thing. Um, I briefly talked about prioritize and execute. That's our third law combat. Um, you know, you have to be able to detach so that you can step back and kind of see what's going on. Um, you know, without that, you're going to get sucked in. You're going to get target fixation. And that's a that's a dangerous thing, right? And you guys see it on your job sites, right? Yeah. Like something starts to go bad, people get sucked into that, and then more things happen because you know they're all they're all super focused on the tasks. They're not aware of their surroundings and, and taking on too many tasks at once, right? And, and you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah, because you know, and and you have to understand that you know. So if I if I have five things I'm working on right now, and I can manage those five decent and but I feel like I should be doing seven. So I take on two more tasks because I don't want to say no. Right. And I don't actually want to look and assess like, what is my priority? So I'm like, yeah, boom, I start doing that. So now I'm doing seven tasks and I get myself or somebody hurt or killed, which is a reality in your, your guys's industry. Absolutely. That's why I love working with linemen is because you guys deal with human life just yeah. like I did military. hundred percent. Just the same. And so if I'm trying to do too many things, and I get myself or somebody else killed, I completely failed. And for what? So that I can stroke my ego and say, oh, I did seven tasks instead of five. Well, guess what? None of those tasks got done because I got myself or somebody else killed. None of it matters. Yeah. And how do we detach? How do we teach ourselves to detach? It's through that training we talked about. You can do some sort of training every single day, right? And so just role-playing through scenarios. That costs nothing but time. You, you know, training doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to be fancy. Now, we, and I say this with confidence, at Echelon Front, provide the absolute best hands-on, stress-induced leadership training in the world. And every gas and electric company we've worked with has said that. And we have seen drastic shifts in their culture, in their effectiveness, just all their numbers go up, right? Yeah. All the go up, all the bad numbers go down after these types of training. And that's because they understand how important cover and move is. They truly understand how to simplify what they're doing. They understand real time how to prioritize all these different tasks and execute. And then the last law of combat, which they feel and experience is decentralized command. And that's when you empower everybody on your team to lead and to, to step up, to make calls, to, to have clear vision and communication with their team. Um, you know, they feel those laws of combat and then they go through all of our mindsets of victory. And how we conduct that is we're actually taking people out and they're conducting capture kill missions against my role players. And my role players are former and current SEALs, Rangers, Delta, SWAT, 
I mean, that's who you're going up against, right? So cool. I'm like, I give you an an intel package, and then you go conduct a capture kill mission against my role players. And, you know, we do that all day long and it, you rotate positions of leadership. It, it's just, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. And the reason why I share that with you is because, because that training is so stressful and just, just chaotic. But after every scenario, we bring it back and we break it down and we debrief the lessons that you learned and how it ties into your business and, right. and you guys do. And it's really cool. Like I, I dude, and you, You've been in, how long have you been doing what you do? Uh, 20 years. Holy shit. You look young, man. <laughs> 39. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I grew in like 27, bro. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Whatever you're doing, man. <laughs> All right. So you've been doing this for 20 years. So what I'm going to say, you're going to be like, that's pretty impressive. We've been doing a debrief and I'll have a lineman. Like we'll be breaking it down. And it's really cool. Like where I've had them where they looked over at the company leadership that was out there observing the training or even doing the training with them, which is really cool when they're working together and they're out there doing it. And I had a, a senior lineman apologize to the, the corporate person and say, you know what? I've completely failed you and the company by arguing and butting heads with you guys for the last 20 plus years. I've never developed a relationship and I wish I would have had this training 20 years ago because until the day I retire, I'm going to be applying these principles and we're on the same team. And we're like, our instructors were like, did like, somebody get that on film? <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn it, where my phone? Say it again. And the guy had tears in his eyes. Yeah. Like he was so genuine. And did, uh, when you get it, you get it. Well, I'm, yeah. And the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because it was so impactful for myself and the other instructors and we did our debrief and it was really cool because one of the senior senior executives was there and then one of the union presidents was there as well and we we stepped outside and we did our our, our debrief after that debrief and you know the union president looked at the senior executive and goes we have to go all in with this training like this is what's going to save lives awesome. and so the reason why i share that with you is not to promote the training but to re-emphasize those four laws of combat that I just explained to you, even if you just took what I explained to you and you started applying it to what you do, you're going to win. You're going you're gonna to make some changes. You can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. So if you choose that you want to change your lifestyle, if you choose that you want to change how your team thinks and reacts and their culture, you can do it. You, you can make that difference. Yeah. And so it's just... It's a, it's been incredible to watch just the transformation. Awesome. That's amazing. So I want to respect your time too, uh, JP. Are you good? We can keep going for a little bit longer. Okay. You just let me know. I got a couple more questions. I'd love to pick your brain on, um, mission first. Uh, you guys talk a lot about putting, putting mission first and why is this one of the most important things you can do as a leader? And maybe an example, if you have something. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you're not putting the mission first, where are your priorities? Are you going to be disciplined in doing the hard tasks if that mission is not your 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 primary focus? Roger. No, I mean, and, and you know, I, I 
I mean, we can talk more or we can dive deeper into it, but there's, there's nothing like, no, no, this is, this is good. It's, it's working into see so what you get in, what you get in trades. Uh, you get this a lot in life anywhere else. I guess my experience of it is within trades is, is egos and managing egos. Right. Yeah. Um, so here's an example. You, you find yourself in a situation where all your efforts are in support of another team or another department or another person. And since you're supporting them, um, it means that they're going to get the bulk of the credit for the successes. Who cares? So like, how do you, how do you manage this and respond to that and manage your ego through that? Well, that comes from good leadership. So whether you are that per person in the leadership and you tell your team, Hey, you know what? The, the, our goal is to help support this mission being accomplished. It does not matter who gets the credit. If you're in this line of work for gaining credit and being recognized, you're in the wrong line of work. That's not what we're about. Our focus is accomplishing the goal, is getting the job done. And when you're a good leader that actually has a relationship with their team and therefore has influence, that message will disseminate. But the cool thing about it and equally important, buddy, is I don't have to be in that top tier position of leadership to spread that message. I can be the most junior ranking and youngest guy on the team. And, and my attitude is contagious. Roger. And that's why Jocko and, and Seth and Leif put me in a position of leadership when we deployed to Ramadi because they recognized I had that influence over the guys. I had those relationships. And I was the youngest, most junior ranking guy. And they put me in a position of leadership. Bro, I turned 23 the month before we deployed to Ramadi. Wow. I was home on leave in Sacramento, enjoyed my birthday, and then went to Ramadi. We deployed over there. We, we did our first initial couple of days. We did this little surge and push. We got into a bunch of gunfights. We came back. We're like, all right, what are we going to do? And that's when Jocko talks about on the podcast in his books where he's like, hey, I need a group of guys to head out east to live at that forward operating base. And that forward operating base was a bunch of blown out buildings that we were going to live in. We were living on dirt floors. We had porta potties where we had to burn the shit and urine, right? There was no porta potty trucks coming Fuck. in that out that's that was our living it got attacked every single day we had to build up the walls and windows with sandbags you couldn't walk from one building to the next without having all your body armor on your helmet and your weapon because there was times that i'd be walking the chow hall with one of the other guys our base would start to get attacked i'm sorry ford operating base attacked and we'd get up on rooftops and up in towers and actually engaging in fighters. and so when he was like, hey, I need, a, I need volunteers to head out there for the rest of the deployment, I got up and I put my name up there because I knew that's what we needed to do. And I believed in that mission. And I believed in my leadership. And our leadership believed in our ability to get the job done. And so you have to remain focused on the mission. You have to understand that it doesn't matter who gets the credit. The credit will be given... And that's due and just. And if it's never given to you, who cares? You know that you did the right thing. You know that you lived the life that of the sacrifices that were made from our service and women and the sacrifice from the men and women in your industry. Roger. Every single day you should 
think about how do I live my life to honor them? And that's why I said when I say them, I don't mean military members. I mean the people also in your industry. Think about the men and women that have paved the way in your industry to make a difference. Yeah. Does it, when you think about that, does it really matter if you get credit for the team winning? Yeah. No, not at all. No. No, that that spins off into this question too, because I'm sure that you've dealt with this lots uh, in the military and in life. But some leaders um, that think just because of rank that that demands respect and that they should be respected. But can you speak to earning influence and respect versus demanding it? So, as a junior ranking frontline leader, I can tell you, you absolutely should give your superiors respect. You give respect until it's broken and lost. You give them the benefit of the doubt. You work to make them look good so that you can gain influence with them. Because then if I have a relationship up the chain of command and I've built that relationship to where I now have influence, if my leadership asks me to do something that's stupid, I actually have you know, a, a foundation to say, no, hey, Here's the deal, Ryan. The reason why my crew is not going to go out and do that is because this, this, and this. And then maybe you're like, oh, I didn't even see that, right? And you're like, hey, you know, JP for the last five years has never told me no. Never told me no. And then those five years, you're aware of like, hey, I actually asked him to do some stupid stuff. But he did it. And he did it well. And he made me look really good. And now JP's telling me, no, hmm, why is that? And you're going to respect that. And there was times where Seth was like, hey, we're going to do this. And I'm like, hell no, we're not doing that, sir. This is why. And he didn't take it as me being confrontational. He was like, oh, okay, J JP's telling me, hell no. Why is that? And so it's the same if you're in a position of leadership. You, you want to earn respect of your men and women, go do some hard tasks with them. Listen to them. I have a notebook with me at all times when I'm meeting with somebody or I'm talking with somebody. I, I've had his notebook sitting right next to me while we're doing the podcast in case you wrote down something that I maybe didn't have a good answer for. And I could say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get with Jocko and I'm, I'll send you a message with that answer, you know, cool. um, or, you know, because I, I, I want people to know that I respect my time with them and my, you know, and, and what they have to say. So when I'm in a position of leadership and I'm meeting with my team, I take notes. I listen. There we go. Yeah. I take notes and I listen to what they're saying. If somebody has a complaint, I don't brush it off. I'm like, OK, hey, you know, hold on. Let me write this down. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, but you have to take action on those things that you write down. Roger. Just be blind, you know, just definitely listening. I say definitely listening to people. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, you're listening, but you don't take action on what you heard. So it's pretty much the same thing as you being deaf. Cool. If I talk yeah. to you and you're telling me something, I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then I don't ever take action or respond to that conversation. Then I might as well have been deaf. There's no good in that conversation. So I, I, I try to do that with my team. Um, and also, you know, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. That's how you gain trust. That's how you gain, you know, um, 
some sort of respect from people is when, you know, I love what Lay says It's not what you preach. It's what you tolerate. Yeah. yeah I love that. All people. It's what you tolerate. What are you going to do? That's huge. That's huge. Absolutely. And that, remember that also comes in, in regards to disciplining people. You have yeah. to hold the line. You have to have high standards. And I think when you have high standards and you explain to your team why you have high standards and why those standards are important, and then you start to give ownership to your team, that's going to gain tremendous amounts of respect and influence. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate your time, man. I, I got kind of one more, uh, one more question for you. Um, talk, we talked a little bit about pressure situations and, uh, this is kind of more for the, more for the audience. I got, a, I got a couple questions saying, ask him about Chris Kyle. Um, I know you're friends with them and you worked with them, your teammates with them. What was it like working with Chris and, and could you give us a, a Chris kind of battle story? Yeah, I mean, Chris Chris was a human just like all of us. Um, Chris was extremely disciplined. You know, the reason why Chris had the number of kills that he had is because he was always on his gun. And that's something that I learned from him. I remember hearing that about him. And when I was in Ramadi, I was always on my gun because I knew that's what was contrib- attributing to his success. And, you know, he's a very loving very loving guy. He was a very playful guy. He had a laugh that was contagious. You know, he, you know, was mischievous. He liked to mess around and play jokes and pranks on people. Um, you know, he loved his wife, loved his kids. He loved God. He loved his country. I mean, he was just an, just an all around badass American. You know, I was like, wow, like this is like my big brother. Right. And he helped mentor me as a young seal. And, you know, I, I spoke at his funeral. I still stay in touch with his wife and family. And, you know, that was a, that's a major loss to our country. Yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, um, I just yeah. think of him and some of the guys. And, you know, that's what drives me is just, you know, I have to live my life to honor them. And, you know, if you've read American Sniper or watched the movie, you know, they tease them about the young sniper catching up to them. Bro, that was me when I was 23. Like, it's awesome. My name is because I was when he was writing that book, I was still in the military and I thought I was going to stay in. And, you know, when I got out, he's like, bro, I'm sorry. I should have put your name. I'm like, that's no factor. I never thought I'd be doing this. Right. And so I was always like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't want that. But again, does that matter? No. Right. He, he, he was apologizing. I'm like, Chris, I don't care that you didn't put my name out there. Like that means nothing to me. I'm just, I'm proud of our friendship. I'm proud of what we were able to do together on the battlefield. And, you know, um, did Chris have his faults? Yeah. Guess what? He was human. Just we all. We all got demons. (laughs) (laughs) We all have our demons. We all, you know, and that's why I'm so thankful for my relationship with the Lord is that even though I have my demons, I have my faults. God has given me grace. And I know Chris is in heaven, just like the rest of the guys on this wall right across from me. Seth, Mikey, Mark, Ryan, Aaron, JT, Luke, Chuck Keating, Chris Leon, all those guys. They're all up in heaven. I know that. And, you know, like my my roommate, Derek Benson, like I, I can't wait to see him again. And, you know, people put guys like Chris 
and all these other guys on these pedestals, and rightfully so at times. But that's the thing I love about Jocko and Leif is people try to put them on pedestals all the time, and they're always, always stepping back down off that pedestal and saying, hey, man, I'm just a man. Yeah. I had a job. I love my job. And the reason why we were good at our job is because that was what our focus was. And you can make a difference and you can make an impact no matter what you do in life, as long as you make that your focus. And that mission is what drives you every single day. Yeah. And when you're not driven by that mission, you need to recognize that it's time to find a new mission or gain clarity on that mission to get that fire back inside of you. Because if not, you can get somebody killed. Yeah. Roger that. Great advice, man. I, I really, like I said at the beginning, I sure appreciate your time uh, and and just your words. This this is amazing. You've, uh, you're a man that's experienced a lot, and I, I appreciate it. Um, where can people find you, get in touch with you, Echelon Front, all that, all that jazz? So, um, you know, Jocko and Leif uh, started the company called Echelon Front. That's a leadership and management consulting company uh, that we all work with. Uh, you can follow us on social media. All of them as at Echelon Front. So E C H E L O N F R O N T dot com uh, is our website, and then at Echelon Front on all the social media sites. Um, I am at J P Donnell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's J P as in Patrick, D as in David, I N N E L L. Um, yeah, you know, if you want to follow. And, and reach out and send me a message and talk and communicate. I love it. Um, I try to get back to as many people as I can in a timely manner. Um, but I do get a lot of unique questions on there. So sometimes I'm like trying to scroll through, uh, like, Hey, how do I join the Navy? I don't know. Go to the uh, recruiter's office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go to the Navy recruiting office. Dude, That's I get that about line work all the time too. And yeah, for anyone listening to this out there, you ask me that question again, like Google, it's called Google, man. G O O. What we have in the app, dude, like what we have available open source over the internet yeah. these days is amazing. And I always, dude, I know, like, I know if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Um, what do I need to do? I'm like, dude, you're never going to make it. If you in in the year of 2018, 2019, 2020, if you can't figure out like, you know what, I should probably go to a Navy recruiting office or at least Google how to become a Navy SEAL, you're probably not going to make it through the training. You're not going to have the mental capacity to actually think outside the box and actually <laughs> make it through that training. Uh, and somebody's probably like, oh, JP's a jerk. Yeah, I am. Sorry. Yeah. But, you know, it's the same thing for your line of work, though. Like, if somebody can't figure that out, is that really somebody that you want working a line? No, no, well, 100% no. No way. No. I don't want, you know, and so, you know, come on. People you got to be able to think on your feet. You got to be able to, you know, be a self-starter. You got to be able to figure this shit out on your own, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah. uh, I know we went off on tangent. It's at JP Donnell and all that stuff. Um, you know, check it out. If, you know, if there's anything that we can do to help, let us know. And then also check out, uh, EF online. That's our, you know, online leadership training program where you can watch videos, you can take tests, you can progress along with our, with our materials. And, uh, in the near future, we're going to be making 
our courses, um, accredited courses where you can get certified. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe everyone who's listening has a little inside information. As I said that, I was like, hmm. <laughs> well, hey, it's coming out in the future. Don't care. Uh, you go to efonline.com. That's E as in Echo, F as in Foxtrot, online.com just to check it out. It's super cheap. Um, and then from there, we're going to be building out a lot of really cool stuff. And in the future, I mean, we're going to have people that are in the game. You know, it doesn't matter if you weren't in the military, right? I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. You have a good amount of leadership experience and capabilities. We're actually going to have a certification program for extreme ownership of like coaches and mentors that, you know, have been able to progress along with what we're doing show show that they're capable that they understand it and we're going to have like a mentorship program for or people to be certified coaches within our organization as well so that's awesome well, good stuff just coming baby come hey, on hey bring it i love it no hey, that's that's uh, fantastic again i know i said it earlier but i just want to thank you and all the men and women in your line of work for what you guys do um the fact that i I'm able to have internet at my house and I have my fan on and my kids are in the other room with the air conditioning and they're doing whatever they're going to do. We're able to do that because men and women work their asses off to make sure that we have those resources available. I don't take that for granted. And I just want to thank you guys again from the bottom of my heart for keeping our nation running. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, JP. Wow. I learned so much from that episode. And again, just want to say thank you to JP for coming on the show. He's such an awesome dude, such a humble guy. And I learned a ton from that. And I hope you guys did too. I just wanted to quickly tell you guys about some new products I put up on my website. Uh, the website is powerlinepodcast.com. That's powerlinepodcast.com forward slash store. That'll take you right to the store where I've got three different styles of hats up there now. I've got a multi-cam uh, leather patch, multi-cam flat brim. I've got a woven patch black uh, flat brim and a trucker style with a leather patch and it's gray on black trucker style. Snap, All snapbacks, um, all three of them are in. They look absolutely mint. I love all three of them. And also have three t-shirts up there now. Um, the, I just want to say the cross hooks logo, um, t-shirt that I have up there is a 50, 50 blend it is so soft and comfortable fits. Perfect. I've got the California line hand, um, California line hand t-shirt up there as well as the born to climb t-shirt. So all three are up on the website, uh, new products up there as well. For all you guys that like to lift and like to work out, I got some shaker cups done. So the shaker cups are up there. They should be up there by the end of today. Um, and also a ton of great stickers. I've got the California line hand stickers just came in, posted those, the born to climb stickers and the cross hooks. So lots of stickers, lots of things to choose from. Um, if anything, just get on the website, go check it out. It's powerlinepodcast.com. 
Um, you can find all the episodes there as well as some of this gear. So for all you guys that stuck around to listen to that, I appreciate you. Appreciate the heck out of you. Uh, thanks and play safe guys.